Hey, everybody. Uh, thanks so much for listening to The Collective Podcast. My name is Josiah, and I actually get to lead the ministry here with a bunch of other incredible people. Collective is the ministry for young adults for Grace Church Bath Campus. Uh, I hope you find this conversation helpful in your relationship with God. And I also want to invite you to check out Collective in person. We meet every Thursday night at 7 o'clock at Grace Church Bath Campus. And you can find all the info you need on our Instagram account, GCM underscore Collective. Once again, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy. Who's ready for a good night? You guys ready for a good night? I am. Uh, <laughs> I am. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Collective. I want to say, especially if this is your first time here or first couple of times here, I'd like to apologize for everything that has happened so far, but I am so glad that you're here right now, and I hope you have a really great uh, night. Hey, we have been in a series for the past couple of weeks called Love, Sex, and Romance, and guess what it's about? Love, Sex, and Romance. Um, and here's kind of been like the premise of, of uh, this series. Uh, I think we can all agree that we have a bit of like a love pandemic in our culture right now. It is harder than ever to find meaningful relationships, powerful relationships, the relationship that you actually want to have that lasts a long time, that is healthy, that goes the distance, that can withstand trials. A couple stats for you. I think most of us are familiar with the fact that our divorce rate has been clocking in about 50%. So if you get married, that there's a 50-50 shot. And then even the ones that stay together, there's varying degrees of health. So you might stay married, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the kind of relationship that you want. And then the stats have also been saying that uh, kind of our generation's alternative methods of finding love, alternative ways of figuring uh, out you know, trying to find a soulmate or whatever, they've actually proven to be worse, not better than, than the traditional marriage. So a study came out that 50% of couples who move in together will break up within the first year of getting together. And 90% of couples will break up within the first five years. So if you're with someone and you're not feeling it, just move in together. <laughs> That'll end the relationship for you. Um, and then even more statistics have been coming out, and I encourage you to do all your own research, that basically the more sexually active a person is, the less satisfying they are in any type of relationship. Now, that doesn't mean there's no hope for you. That's what we've been talking about, and that's what we've been trying to explore. Um, what I've found in my experience, and maybe this is your situation, I know maybe not everybody's in the same boat, but I find that the vast, vast majority of us want a relationship that lasts a long time. So that's all those stats are fine if you just want to like meet people for five minutes at a time and kind of move on. But I find that most people want a relationship that lasts. Uh, we want to find someone who will love us unconditionally, um, and we want to find someone who we can love unconditionally, building a trusting, lasting, satisfying relationship that can withstand the worst that life has to offer. And if that is what you want, if you want something that lasts, if you want something that's meaningful, then according to all the data and all the modern statistics, most, most of our methods on how to go about that and how to find that are going to hurt you, not going to help you. Um, here's what I want to talk about a little bit. Here's what I want to talk about a little bit. Um, I want to talk about what God's vision for a healthy, long-lasting relationship is. I want to talk about what God's vision for a healthy, long-lasting relationship is. I have found in my experience uh, that when we think of what God wants from our, us out for love and marriage, and when we think of what we want for our own marriage, we tend to think about two very different things, right? We tend to take, think about two very different things. But here's kind of the premise for tonight. Um, if you want something that lasts forever, if you want something that's meaningful, if you want something that's powerful, if you want something that goes to the distance, 
existence, then your desire for your relationship and God's desire for your relationship are actually probably the same. They might be different methods, but the end goal is probably the same. Um, we, so in prep for this series, I've been working, we, we held uh, four different focus groups, okay? So focus group is when you get a room full of people and you ask them questions to try and get the general consensus. And so uh, we were holding these focus groups and we asked them a bunch of questions. Here was the overall like universal basic thing. When we start talking about a biblical view of marriage or God's view of marriage, two thumbs down to that. You know what I mean? Like the, the overall impression was, that's not really exciting. That's not really fun. I, that's not really what I'm interested in. And here's what we found. When we asked people what they think of when they think of what God's view of marriage is, four things came up over and over and over again. I want to share them with you. Um, the first thing is this. When we think of what God wants out of marriage, the first thing we think is sexual purity. Sexual purity. That's the first thing. Uh, most of us know, and if you don't know, that the Bible teaches that s- sexual intimacy is to be reserved for uh, a man and a woman when they get married. And so, how most of us hear that and how most of us interpret that is God doesn't actually care about the quality of your sex life. He only cares that before you got married, you didn't have one, right? So we hear like, ah, oh, that's not, that's not exciting. That's not fun. God doesn't really care about the quality of the sex life. All he really cares is that we didn't have one before we got married. Then we got, uh, then he'd be happy with it. The second thing that we found when we asked what God's view of marriage is, the top four traits, the second one is what we would call quote unquote gender roles. Now gender roles is funny because that's a phrase that never appears anywhere in the Bible, but here's how we interpret this. Here's how we interpret generally in our culture. We think uh, that God wants men to rule over women. So in parentheses, that basically means God doesn't really care about women that much, right? The Bible's ancient, the Bible's sexist, the Bible is all that kind of stuff. And additionally to that, many of us think that God doesn't care about us who are same-sex attracted. So that's many of us in the room. You might have the uh, attraction to the same gender, and the overall consensus is that either God doesn't care about you or God doesn't care about your love life. And then for the rest of us in this room, we all, almost all of us would have close friends or family members where we'd be concerned that God, if they were to follow God's you know, plan, that God wouldn't really be interested in them. The third thing that we think of that God wants out of a marriage is uh, a quote-unquote Christian family. A Christian family. So in our minds, this means you have kids probably early. You know, you get pregnant really fast. Uh, all of them have to believe the Christian truths. So you got to indoctrinate your kids. They all have to go to uh, church every week. You probably should homeschool them and your family probably should look like this. Do you have that image? Can you hit the next slide? This is, how, you know, by the way, I was homeschooled into any homeschoolers in the house. Anyone was homeschooled anymore? I was homeschooled into, until high school. Every family I know looks like this. Every single one. You know, they all had their kids, Balthazar and Ebenezer, and uh, they made their own cheese. Uh, it, it was pretty crazy. Um, so we, here's kind of how we interpret that, that God wants a Christian family. Here's how we interpret that. We think God does not actually care about the health of our family. He only cares that we go to church. We think God doesn't really care about the health of our family. He only cares that we go to church. So many of us were raised in families that went to church all the time. We were raised in families that were taught the Christian truths all the time. When you pulled up in the minivan to church or mass or whatever it was, you put on the face, but you knew that behind closed doors, that family was deeply, deeply dysfunctional and unhealthy. Deeply, deeply. And so when you think of what you want your future to look like, you don't want it to look anything like what you grew up with. You were taught that what God wants 
to you to have is your family and you want to run in the opposite direction. The fourth thing that we think of what God wants in a marriage is, is this, and I think this one summarizes a lot. Do not get divorced. Do not get divorced. So when we think if I'm going to engage in a godly relationship, we know that marriage is supposed to be this unbreakable uh, commitment. Most of us conveniently leave out of our minds, or most teachers conveniently leave out your, their minds, that Jesus does make uh, two exceptions for divorce, which is uh, uh, you know, a cheating and abuse. We like kind of leave that out. And so here's how we interpret this instead. Uh, this, I think this will summarize a lot of how we feel. God doesn't care if we are actually in love. He just cares that we don't leave. And we kind of had to summarize just our culture's general consensus of what a Christian marriage, a godly marriage in our minds looks like. It would be this. God doesn't actually care if we're actually in love. God doesn't actually care if we're actually healthy. God doesn't actually care if we actually enjoy ourselves. All he cares is that we don't break the commitment. All he cares is that we don't leave. All he cares about is that we follow the rules. And like I said, many of us grew up in homes where that is exactly the case. Here's what I need you to know. I need you to know two things about this. First, all these four things that I, all of those rules that I just showed are, are misinterpretations to one degree or another. Okay, so there are things in the Bible that may reflect this or may reflect that, but the way I just presented those and the way that we think of them are all misinterpreted to one degree or another. Here's the second thing I need you to know, and this is the most important. Every guideline in the scriptures that God actually does give us for our relationships is meant to improve the quality of your relationship. Every guideline that God gives in the scriptures about our relationship is meant to improve the quality the health, the happiness, the functionality, the commitment, the longevity, the adventure of the relationship. God doesn't make rules for no reason. God doesn't say things for no reason. He actually wants you to have what you want to have. But if you want to get that, you have to understand what he means. So let me make this point as clearly as I possibly can. Ready for the longest point I've probably ever made in collective. All right, get your pens, get your pens ready. God's vision for marriage is to be happy, healthy, fun, trusting, intimate, adventurous, full of laughter, extremely sexual, never-ending, and unconditional. I will say that one more time. And yes, if you're taking notes, I made sure to make every single one of those a blank just because I wanted to see the type A start scrambling. (laughs) God's vision for marriage is to be happy, healthy, fun, trusting, intimate, adventurous, full of laughter, extremely sexual, never-ending, and unconditional. Here's what I'm asking you tonight, okay? Here's the question I have. I know a lot of us come from different backgrounds. Some of us grew up Christian. Some of us were here first time. We're just checking stuff out. Here's my premise. Would you be open? We're always talking about being open-minded. Would you be open-minded enough to explore what God's actual vision for marriage might be? If you want a different end goal, you have to try different methods, so would you be open to re-exploring what God says, re-exploring the scriptures and see what he's actually trying to get across and actually trying to communicate before we make too many assumptions? Can we do that? If you got a Bible, if you got a phone, if you got eyeballs, because we're going to put this on the screen, uh, we're going to be hanging out in Ephesians chapter five, okay? Ephesians chapter five, in a real Bible, it's like way towards the end. Uh, Ephesians chapter five is written by one of the church leaders, one of the primary church leaders, the apostle Paul, and he's talking about uh, what God uh, intended marriage to be. And so this is probably his most concentrated explanation of a lifelong commitment in, in true love. So here's what he says. 
And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus Christ. For wives, that means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. Uh Uh-oh, we'll get back to that, don't worry. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. But for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or a wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives like they love their own bodies, like they love themselves. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds it and takes care of it, just as Christ cares for the church and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and he leaves his mother and he is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. And this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. So I say, again, each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. All right, pause. I can tell there's some tense lines in there. Did anyone else notice how many times the word submit was used? I I noticed that very, very quickly. Um, Submit is one of those words that I think rightfully so makes us uncomfortable. Submit is one of those words that I think very fairly so uh, makes us want to kind of run away and get as far away from this as possible. But I have, we have to clear this up if you're going to understand what God's actually trying to communicate. Remember, open-mindedness, right? Here's what I need you to remember. The Bible is translated. Turn to the person next to you and say, the Bible is translated. And give them a high five. And then turn to the person on the other side of you and say, hey, I know I didn't choose you first, but I still think you're a swell guy. Just like, let them... (laughs) All right, everybody. The Bible is translated. The Bible is translated. The Bible is written in a couple different languages. It's written in the Hebrew language and it's written in the Greek language and then we translate it into English. And I don't know if you know this, so my mom is from Brazil, so she's constantly pointing this out to me. English is not her first language. When you translate a word from one language into another, you often accidentally say something you don't mean to say. You often accidentally invoke a connotation that you never meant to evoke. You might accidentally use a word that has no baggage in your culture, but has a ton of baggage in theirs, okay? Submit is one of those words. The English word submit in our minds essentially means to be subordinate to, right? If you're submitting to someone in our minds, that means they are better than you, They are greater than you. They are more powerful than you. And you are coming as their humble servant to do whatever they want to do. So when we hear the word submit in a relationship context or a marriage context, what all most of us can think about is a domineering narcissistic man telling a woman to submit to him. That's what's in most of our minds. And unfortunately, and I I am very sorry for this, unfortunately, that's the home that some of us actually grew up in. And to add insult to injury, there's been plenty of people that have actually done this. Here's the problem with that way of thinking, okay? Here's the problem. In the Greek language, the word submit has none of that baggage attached to it at all. 
In the Greek language, the word submit, the image that came to mind was not a narcissistic husband yelling at someone. It didn't have that connotation at all. That's not what God had in mind. Here is a biblical definition for the word submit for you. I think this is helpful. Submit is to give all of yourself to another person expecting nothing in return. That's all it is. Submit is to give, to dedicate all of yourself to another person expecting nothing in return. Ironically, this is actually the same definition that the Apostle Paul would give to the word love. So submit and love are very much so the same concept. It's not about superiority or inferiority. It's about trust, love, surrender, commitment. All right, here's an aside to all the women in the room, okay? if If you're a woman, I want you to pay really close attention to me. I know that many of you have been ignored, have been looked down upon, haven't been listened to, have been looked over, have been cast to the side. And I know that some of us, sometimes it's happened in a job context, sometimes it's happened in a family context, and unfortunately, a lot of us, that has happened in a religious context. And if that has been your experience, and if that has been your story, I would like to personally apologize that that has been your story. That is terrible, that is unfair, that is sexist, and that is wrong. I need you to know two things. First, the Bible is explicitly clear, and Jesus demonstrates over and over and over and over again that women have equal value, that women are capable, that women are precious, and that the church of Jesus Christ cannot move forward unless women are respected and seen for what they actually are created in the image of God to do incredible and amazing things. That's the first thing I need you to know. The second thing I need you to know, this church, Grace Church, in this ministry collective that I lead will never be a place that treats women like that. We need you. We need you. You are equal you're capable. And I don't care what anyone else has told you. I will never tell you that. We're, I'm, I'm inviting you into the mission of God because I'm 1,000% certain that this ministry, that the world as we know it, cannot move forward unless people respect uh, you and understand you, listen to you, and let you do what only you can do. So I invite you into the mission of God. Jesus invites you into the mission of God because the world needs you in the mission of God. Are we clear on that? Everybody clear on that? So that's not what we're talking about here. That's not what we're talking about here. Here's another thing that conveniently people that tend to be sexist like to look over, okay? So let's look back at this passage, actually. Here's what Paul says. And further, submit to who? One another. What the heck, man? (laughs) And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For husbands, that means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And what does that mean for husbands? He laid his life down for her. If anything, if anything, men are called to submit more than women. If anything, The concept of marriage is a mutual giving the best of yourselves to another person. It's two people coming together, laying down who they are to love each other, to support each other, to strengthen each other. All right, you want to know the key to a healthy, meaningful, long-lasting relationship. Do you want to know the key to marriage? Here it is. God's vision for marriage is two people giving all of themselves to each other, expecting nothing in return. God's vision, this is what God's, get, get the bad experiences out of your mind just for a second. God's vision for marriage is two people giving all of themselves, 
Nothing held back, nothing hidden, nothing in secret, giving all of themselves to each other, expecting nothing in return just because they love each other. I heard this story the other day. I thought this was good. This is pretty well known. Uh, One time a student asked a professor, uh, professor, what's the difference between like and love? What's the difference between liking someone and loving someone? And the professor responded in a very wise way. The professor said, all right, let's say you're out in a field and you see a flower that you like. What are you going to do? Pick it. But what happens when you pick it? It dies. Let's say you're out in the field and you see a flower, not that you like, but that you love. A flower that you adore, a flower that you think is the greatest thing that has ever happened. What are you going to do? You're going to come back every day and you're going to water it. You're going to look around the soil and make sure there's no weeds. You're going to make sure that there's nothing blocking the sunlight. You are going to do anything to make that flower last. Here's what's wrong with the way I think most of us approach love and definitely the way that our culture tells us to approach love, okay? Fatal flaw. We just keep picking flowers. (laughs) That's the big problem, right? We just keep picking flowers. And the reason we just keep picking flowers and things keep dying is because we believe a myth. And I call this myth the myth of the perfect flower, okay? The myth of the perfect flower. And here's how this goes. Most of us believe that somewhere out there beneath the shining stars is this magical flower that has this magical life giving power to it. And if I can just find that flower, then everything will be easy, then I will be complete, and then I will finally be healthy. They're funny. They're emotionally healthy. They're, sex- they're sexy. Everything feels right when you're with them. You have a ton of chemistry. Your life is moving in just the right direction. And when I find them, everything will just be... I, so I just need to find the right flower. I just, I just haven't met you yet. You know, I'm going to go out and find... And so what happens is, is you, you, you go out into the field and you meet a nice guy, you meet a nice girl, you, you find this flower and you pick it. But then when you realize how much baggage that person has, then you just toss it out because that must not be the perfect flower, right? And then you think you find them again, but then the butterflies go away. It doesn't feel right anymore. And if it, if it was true love, it would feel right all the time. Enchanted didn't look like this, you know, so I don't know why this, I'm thinking this is gonna work, right? So you just toss it out. Then you think you find, you find another one. You think you find another one and you pick it, but then problems start coming into your life and it's difficult and you guys are arguing and you guys don't see things the same way because you were grown up and then you pick it again and this is a different one, but this one is not making your problems go away. This one doesn't have Rapunzel's magic healing power to it. You know, like, so this can't possibly it. Then you think you find it again, but this time you pick a flower and then you see an even prettier flower off in the distance and you're like, wait a second, this flower is great, but that one's a little prettier. So you throw that one down and you go off in the distance. By the way, no judgment. Okay, so no judgment to anyone in this room. But what is Tinder? You know, and what are most dating apps? Is it not going through the field picking flowers? Is that not exactly what it is? Okay, no judgment. Once again, what is pornography? Is it not going out trying to find the thing that gives you exactly what you want, trying to get a quick fix? No offense, but what is scanning through the bar trying to find the cutest girl in the room? Is it not? All right, no offense. What is scanning through collective trying to find the cutest girl in the room? Right? Is it not picking through the flowers? And it, it, look, you're trying to find the magic one. You're trying to find the magic one. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, and I promise you this. You're never going to find long-lasting, authentic love that way. Because as soon as you pick it, what happens? It dies. That's what's going to happen immediately. Actually, psychologists have studied this uh, phenomenon for a while. 
Um, and they've identified uh, basically two different phases of love, two different phases of love. Uh, first, you have the passionate phase of love. Do you have that picture? You hit the next one. First, you have the passionate phase of love, okay? I'm gonna call this high school love, okay? The passionate phase is all the sparks are flying. You know what I mean? It, it feels the start of something new. It feels so right to be here with you. We're soaring, we're flying, you know? Like, it's, it's the high school love. You're passionate. And, and what they found is actually in the passionate phase, uh, it, you, you're always really excited and really nervous at the same time because hormonally, you're getting hit with dopamine like crazy. That's what happens. And so you're excited and you're fearful. So you're excited that you just got his number, but you're so afraid that he's not going to text you back. You're excited that she looked over at you, but you're so afraid that she was going to notice that, you, you know, you're getting a little chubby lately. You got to cut that down. Come on, guys. Planet Fitness is open 24-7. Anyways, uh, so it, it's marked by this excitement and this passion. And so what happens for most of us, for most of us, is we find someone, like maybe you were in middle school or in high school or whatever, you remember the feeling like the butterflies and the excitement of falling for someone in the passionate love phase. Maybe they didn't like you back. Maybe they did. Maybe it was just like Selena Gomez on the screen. Doesn't matter, right? But you know the sparks fly and you know that feeling. And, and here's what's happening. Some of us are, are getting a little older. So maybe you're 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, something like that. Um, and you're, you're kind of noticing, wait a second, I'm not feeling that way for anyone anymore. You know what I mean? I'm meeting all these people. I'm trying, I'm, I'm going on dates. I'm not going on dates, whatever. I'm, but I'm not feeling that way anymore. And actually, can I tell you this? Maybe this will help you feel a little better. There's a physical reason for that. There's a physical reason you're not feeling that way all the time anymore. Ready? Your brain is probably fully developed. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I'm serious. You can clap for that. No, I, I, I'm not joking about this. You can look this up. Um, when your brain is fully developed, that means you're more hormonally stable. And actually, the passionate phase of love is marked by sparks of hormones all the time. That, that, that's what it is. And so as your brain develops, this is going to go down and down and down and down, but that's okay. The max amount of time for most people that the passionate love phase can last is about two years, but there's a second phase of love. There's a second phase of love. And that's, you can hit the next slide, it's called the compassionate phase. The compassionate phase. Um, here's a quote for you about the uh, compassionate phase from Kendra Cherry. It says this, where passionate love is marked by its intensity, compassionate love is characterized by its intimacy. Did you hear that? While passionate love is marked by its intensity, compassionate love is characterized by its level of intimacy. Compassionate love, also called companion, uh, companionship love, is about intimacy, trust, commitment, and affection. This type of love involves caring deeply for the other person, truly knowing the other individual, and its uh, commitment to the person through both good times and the bad. Being intimate Truly knowing in the commitment to the person in the good times and the bad. Here's generally speaking, generally speaking, um, the difference. A lot of times in the passionate love phase, you're more excited about the relationship than the actual person. You're more excited about the relationship or the idea of that per than the actual person. In the compassionate love phase, you've really fallen for the person. Now, don't hear me wrong. Don't hear me on this. Um, I'm sure a lot of people immediately think, oh, that passionate love, that's so immature. That's so stupid. I want something deeper than that. I want some, you know, I'm not shallow. No, 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 hear me. The passionate love is created by God. That's a good thing. 
You know what I mean? If you are head over heels for someone and that person is a high character, high trust, that is an incredible thing. I'm not dogging on that. I will also say that in the compassionate phase, the passion doesn't go away, it deepens. The passion doesn't go away, it matures. It turns into trust. It turns into commitment. It turns into flourishing. It turns into building a life together to be known, seen, and loved by an under, another individual. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you want? Here's the problem. For most of us, because we think true love is the passionate phase, we just keep looping that two-year cycle. Every time we get to the breaking point where this could mature and this could deepen, we're out. Every time we get to the point where, where we could finally like commit, where we could finally build something that lasts, we're out, we're out, we're out. Why? Because it doesn't feel like the perfect flower. We pick, we pick, we pick, but we don't invest, 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 invest. I'm going to tell you something that changed my life when I heard this. Pastor Timothy Keller is a pastor I really like. He says this quote, ready for this? Ready? You always marry the wrong person. Can I say that again? Everybody, you always marry the wrong person. Do you know why? Every person is broken. Every person is insecure. Every person has emotional baggage. Every person has sexual baggage. Every single person in the language of the Bible is a sinner, which means every single marriage is a marriage between, between two sinners, two hurting people that inevitably are going to hurt each other. But here's the good news. You will never find the right person, but you can certainly forge the right relationship. You will never find the right person, but you can certainly forge the right relationship. Um, here's, here's an illustration for you, Okay. Here's, let's pretend that you are this flower. Flowers gleam and glow. Let's, <laughs> I don't know the rest of the words, right? Let's pretend that you are this flower, and you're not just any flower, okay? I, no offense, I'm talking about me too, okay? Uh, you are an insecure flower. You are a needy flower. You are an imperfect flower that kind of shrivels up a little bit, right? You, 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 you know, you're an imperfect flower, but you're a flower nonetheless. And let's say this, this water right here, this water represents everything that you have to offer. So this is all your time, and this is all your energy, and this is all your resources, and this is all your intelligence. This is everything that you have to offer to the world. So this is you, and this is what you have to offer. Here's what happens. Um, our culture teaches us, who are we supposed to, spend this on according to our culture? Me, right? So my time, I'm, you know, I'm feeling kind of faded. I, get, I don't have the sunlight, so I'm supposed to spend this on myself. I, you know, I have needs. I have things that I want. I'm supposed to spend this on myself. The, the phrase, look out for number one, is very ingrained into all of our heads. We're taught we need to spend all of our energy, all of our resources, everything we have on ourselves. And what happens is over the course of time is we don't have that much left right? So we're withering, we're struggling, we're insecure, we're depressed, we're anxious, or we just know that there's something missing in life, and we don't have anything to spend on ourselves. But then along comes Mr. or Mrs. Beautiful. Oh, wow. Look at this flower. Am I right? This flower is so gorgeous and so pretty. And you notice this flower, and you turn, this is the face is here, so I have to turn him. Uh, <laughs> so you notice this flower, and you're like, man, I want that. She's so wonderful. She makes me feel less lonely. She makes me feel like I have a purpose in life. He makes me feel loved. 
He listens to me. He makes me feel seen. Uh, generally speaking, um, this is ge- a generalization. This is not like, you know, but generally speaking, uh, women tend to want emotional affirmation and men tend to want sexual affirmation. And that makes a very, very deadly cycle, as you can know. So you're like, okay, maybe this person can give me the type of affirmation that I'm looking for. Here's the thing. You think you're in love with this, but you actually just want this. You think you're in love with this person, but you actually want their time their energy, their attention, their thought process, their resources, the family that you could potentially build, the image that it looks like, being able to fit in with your couple friends. This is actually what you want. And so what happens is you kind of ask for this, but she kind of wants that too, or he kind of wants that too. And so they pour back and forth. And what's inevitably going to happen is you're both going to run out and then you're going to start being miserable and you start going, you know, get incredibly mad at each other. Jesus gives us a different image for marriage, okay? Jesus gives us a different image for marriage. He says, what if instead, what if instead of focusing on your own needs, what if you focus on the needs of others? So if you, let's say this is the guy and this is the girl, let's just say that for a second. Let's say, what if the guy, instead of ever spending his energy on himself, what if he always spent it on her? That means two things. One, her needs are always taken care of. But second, she's always seen, she's always known, she's always loved, she's always heard. And what if this girl always spent all of her time and her energy and her resources on him? That would mean two things. One, his needs are always met, but also he's always seen, he's always known, he's always heard, he's always loved. As you two submit to each other, you give all of yourselves. You give the best of yourselves. What's going to happen is you're going to create this safety net around each other. It's not your job to look after your own needs. She's going to do that. It's not your job to look after your own needs. He's going to do that. You submit to each other. You give to each other. And you create a life that is long-lasting, that is loving to each other. Now, I think a bunch of us are going to think, oh man, that's amazing. That's incredible. You're right. You probably just wrote down with a lot of hearts. That's incredible. And uh, that's exactly, I just want something like that. All I need to do is do this. I have this boyfriend right now. We just need to start doing that instead. I'm sorry. I don't know why I'm doing a girl voice. I don't know. It's a metrosexual voice. That's what I'm doing right now. Uh, we just need to convert to kind of that and everything's going to be okay. Here's, here's the big problem though. Here's the big problem. What happens, what happens when she has nothing to give to you? What happens when he has nothing to give to you? So you're pouring all of yourself out, expecting nothing in return. You, you're, you're giving, you're, so you're not looking after your own needs, but then all of a sudden he gets depressed. And so now you're pouring yourself out, pouring yourself, pouring yourself out, but no one's taking, looking after you anymore. All of a sudden, her family baggage that you didn't even know was there until five years later starts coming to the surface. And so you're pouring yourself out, pouring yourself, pouring out, getting nothing back. What happens when he makes a terrible mistake and that mistake really hurts your feelings? And that mistake really hurts your self-image. And so you're pouring yourself out, pouring, but you can't imagine. What happens when uh, stuff starts going wrong in your sex life? And so the reason that you got married, because deep down inside you're a shallow jerk, the reason isn't working anymore. And so you're pouring yourself out, you're pouring yourself out, and you got nothing back in return. Here's the question. How do I pour myself out to them when I'm getting nothing back? And this, this is the gospel, guys. Ready? This is the good news. Paul answers the question. He says, further, submit to one another out of what? Reverence 
for Jesus Christ. Give to each other out of what? Out of your own pocket? No, out of reverence for Jesus Christ. And then Paul ends his whole teaching with such an incredible quote. He says, this is a great mystery, but it's an illustration. It's a reflection. It's a picture. It's an image of the way that Jesus Christ in the church are one. And by the church, he means you. This is an image. This is a reflection. This is a picture. Here's what he's saying. The story of marriage is the story of Jesus's love for me. It's the illustration. The story of marriage is the story of Jesus's love for me. In John chapter 13, Jesus does one of the most remarkable things that any person has ever done. It was the night before Jesus was about to die. If you knew that you were going to die the next day, who would you be thinking about 24-7? Me. Jesus knew that he was going to be betrayed, that he was going to be beaten, and that he was going to die a gruesome gruesome death on the cross. But he wanted to give his closest friends, his disciples, his followers, he wanted to give them an illustration of what his love for them looked like. And so in John chapter 13, this is what it says. Jesus knew that the Father had given him all the authority over everything. And Jesus knew that he had come from heaven. He had come from God and that he would return to God. What's it saying? Jesus knew he was the son of God. He knew his worth. He knew what he deserved. He knew his rights. He knew his dignity. He knew that he had come from heaven and he knew that he had all the authority of the universe in his hands. He could do anything he wanted. All the authority on heaven and earth had been given to him. So what did he do? Next verse. So Jesus got up from the table He took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around them. If you don't know, in the ancient culture, washing someone's feet was the lowest thing you could do. In fact, it was so low that you wouldn't even have your slave wash your feet. It was too low for slaves. You would have the slave of your slave wash the feet. A full-grown man, it was unheard of to have a full-grown man, especially an esteemed teacher or rabbi like Jesus, washing someone's feet. And all the disciples knew that Jesus wasn't just a teacher. He wasn't, you know, just this esteemed guy. He was the son of God. And the son of God did something a slave wouldn't even do. He washed their feet. Do you know whose feet he washed? He washed the feet of this guy named Peter. Do you know that Jesus knew, he, he told Peter, that Peter was going to deny that he even knew Jesus Christ in just a couple of hours. Jesus had that in his head. He knew, this guy's going to screw me over. He got down and washed his feet. Then, crazy enough, he gets to his buddy Judas. And Jesus knew, in fact, it said right before, Jesus knew that Judas was not just going to betray him, he was going to cause his death. Jesus knew that. And he didn't let it stop him. He got down and he washed his feet. And Jesus is saying to them, and he's saying to every single person in this room, when I died on the cross, that's what I was doing. I was taking the worst parts about you and cleaning them. 
When I died on the cross, that's what I was doing. I was bending down to the worst parts. I was restoring our relationship. Why? Because I love you so much. And if that's what it takes to have our relationship, I'll do it. I love you that much. I, will, I don't care if it's lower than the slate. I don't care. I love you. And if that's what it takes to restore our relationship, that is what I'm going to do. Hear me. Jesus, the son of God, submitted to you. And the apostle Paul says in the book of Philippians that Jesus submitted himself to death, even death on the cross, which is one of the worst deaths you could die. Paul says it another way. He says that when Jesus gave himself to death, he emptied himself. Here's the idea. Jesus Christ has said, I have unlimited life to give. I have unlimited power. I have unlimited energy. And so when you are empty, when she can't give you anything back, when he can't give you anything back, come to me and I will fill you up. I have always emptied myself into you. And so even when she's depressed, even when he hurt you, even when your relationship is not, is not anything that you thought it was going to be, I've given you love. You have unconditional, never-ending, limitless love that has come from the Son of God. And if you have Jesus Christ, you can always submit, not just to your spouse, to everyone, to the worst people in your lives, no matter the cost. Listen, in marriage... The question should never be, are they submitting to me? The question should always be, am I submitting to them? In marriage, it's never your job. Listen, guys, look at me. It's never your job to look at somebody and say, you need to submit to me. It is always your job to say, how can I submit to them? Why? Because Jesus Christ, the son of God, submitted to me. I never have an excuse. I pour out my life. I lay down my life for the sake of others, even when I get nothing in return. And if you understand the unconditional love of Jesus Christ, and you take that into you, and you receive that, that is how you move towards a happy, healthy, fun, trusting, intimate, adventurous, full of laughter, extremely sexual, never-ending, unconditional marriage. Now... I can't end quite right here, okay? I was going over my notes a few days ago uh, last week with my good friend, John Bowen. And praise God for John Bowen because he always stops me from saying stupid stuff. (laughs) And uh, what John said to me is, uh, you know, Josiah, um, you need to give a pretty big caveat here because I can imagine um, somebody using all this information at submit, submit, submit at any cost to justify staying in a toxic relationship. Raise your hand if you have ever been in or seen up close a toxic relationship, right? Let's just do a quick poll. And what does anyone that doesn't get out of their toxic relationship, what are they always saying? I can fix him. (laughs) Just give it time. You know, he's got a lot of potential. The world just doesn't know yet. You know, she's, she's got a personality. I, I think <laughs> it's in there somewhere, you know, give it time. I can fix them. Here's why I need to make all this super duper clear. Okay. Cause some of us are married. So there you go. That applies to you. Do that. Suck it up. You know, the rest of us, everything I just said is about marriage, not about dating or engagement. 
everything I just taught is God's calling for marriage, not his calling for dating and engagement. And by the way, engagement, just for the record, is not too late. If you're in toxic engagement, that's way better than getting out of a toxic marriage. Let me just put that right there. Everything we said is for uh, marriage, not for... Here's a rule of thumb for you. Here's a rule of thumb. I think this is really helpful. Dating is not about finding someone to fix. It's about finding someone to trust. That's the point of dating. Dating is not about finding someone to fix. It's about finding someone to trust. It's about finding someone who you trust that even when you're at your lowest of lows, they will lay down their life for you. That even in your, you're in the worst, that their character is even stronger than your chemistry. That, that their integrity is even stronger than the intimacy that you feel right now. And that you trust that no matter how bad it gets, no matter how crazy it gets, that they will run to Jesus Christ and be able to empty themselves to you. All right. You want to see some cute AF? All right. Hit that next slide. This is a picture of me and my wife. Uh, can I, okay. Can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? I love this girl so much. I, I'm serious. I, she is my best friend in the universe. I think about her uh, all the time. She is the most beautiful girl that I have ever seen ever. We both have had major glow-ups recently. Uh, so that's been like really helping. But she has always been uh, that. My favorite night of the week is our date night. My favorite thing to do is to talk to her. My favorite sound in the cosmos is her laugh, especially if I'm the one that gets her to laugh. You know what I mean? That's, that's self-esteem. Uh, my favorite uh, part of the day is uh, when we fall asleep watching Instagram reels, you know, and you're just sliding through those all the time. Um, other than the gift of Jesus Christ, Sarah Bogue is the greatest gift I've ever been given, bar none. I, I, could, not be, I could not be happier. I could not be more content. I want to conquer the world with her. Can I tell you something about our relationship? Can I tell you something about When we started dating, we had next to zero chemistry. Next to none. We were, we had uh, some friends over last night. We were just laughing about this. Uh, listen, chemistry is important. I am not dogging on chemistry. Uh, Sarah and I had some chemistry to some degree, uh, but we didn't have a lot. We constantly miscommunicated. And when you miscommunicate, uh, you argue all the time. I was an emotional basket case. I must have tried to break up with the love of my life 15 times when we were dating. It, it, was, uh, it was absurd. We both had a lot of baggage that we didn't know about. And some of that baggage uh, really started showing actually after we got married and after the relationship. Um, let's just say this. No one was making a documentary about me and Sarah. You know what I mean? They can make it about, you know, Kevin Jonas and his wife. They weren't coming to us. Right? There's no Disney movies happening here. Every normal gauge to find the right person would not have worked on me and her. But, but when we were dating, because we were friends for a long time before that, I knew that I could trust her with my life. I knew that. I knew that no matter what happened, no matter how bad things got, that I could trust her with my life. I knew that because of her relationship to Jesus, that she was committed to Jesus first, that even when things got hard, that even when things got terrible, that her relationship with Jesus would cause her to come to me and love me and, and, and be with me. And I knew that when she was empty and when she became empty, that she had endless love in Jesus Christ that she could run to. Listen, I, can, I don't know how to tell you this because some of you guys are puppy-eyed for some weird freaking people, man. I don't, know, I don't know how to tell you this. I am so glad I chose trust over chemistry. 
I'm so glad about that. Because now, it's funny, we have all the chemistry in the world, but we didn't really at the beginning. I'm so glad that I chose trust over chemistry because things have been so much harder than we ever anticipated. I never thought, I had never struggled with mental health in my life until the first year that we got married. What are the odds? I went into a massive depression. I am so glad I had someone I could trust in the midst of that. In the trust that we have with each other, is what turned it into the happiest, healthiest, funniest, most trusting, intimate, adventurous, laughing, never-ending, unconditional love story that I've ever seen. And I don't need to go to the movies to watch it. It's my own life. Isn't that incredible? Is that what you're looking for? Dating is not about finding someone to fix. It's not even about finding someone that makes all the butterflies happen, although I love the butterflies and they're good. It's about finding someone to trust. Is that what you're looking for? Can, can, can... I got two questions. First, are you looking for trust above all else? Listen, some of you are in dating relationships or you're talking to people or you're pursuing people, but you don't really trust them. You like them a lot. You love what they can give to you. You even love your relationship. You even appreciate them as a person. You might even love them as a person, but you can't trust them because how they talk to their mom is how they're going to talk to you. You know? How they talk about their friends is how they're going to talk about you. The, The way they've treated their ex is inevitably how they're going to treat you. You don't trust them. And here's the biggest thing. Here's the biggest thing. You don't trust their relationship with God. Listen, one of the questions, remember when we did the survey and we asked all the questions about, people ask me all the time, is it okay to to date somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ if you're a follower of Jesus Christ? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, tune into this right now. People always ask, is it okay if I date a non-believer? The apostle Paul answers that question. And look it up, read it on your own time. He says, why on earth would you ever want to be yoked or attached to or or become one with someone who's not a believer in Jesus Christ? If you love basketball with everything, you would never date someone that didn't like basketball, ever. If you love Mario Kart (laughs) with all your heart, you would never date someone that, one of the reasons I love Sarah is because uh, she was pretty good at Super Smash Bros. You know what I mean? We went to a tournament one time and she won. I'm like, oh, heck yeah. You know, you know if, you, if you're into that kind of thing, you never even, listen, Paul is saying, if you are trying to date someone who doesn't love Jesus Christ, what does that say about your relationship with Jesus Christ? That's, it's, it's not, is it right or wrong? It's what does it say about you? Maybe you and Jesus are, and listen, we, crushes happen, man. Crushes happen on random people. You know, when you're a kid, you have a crush on a cartoon character. I'm not judging you for that. Crushes happen, but the pursuit is a choice. And, he, and it, listen, do you trust them? Because if someone doesn't have Jesus Christ, that means they don't have the endless life to draw from. So when they're out, they're out. When they're out of energy, that's it. And when they're not interested in you, there is no higher calling or higher purpose in their life that would tell them, don't leave him, don't leave her. When they're not interested in you, that's it, I'm sorry. Do you trust the person that you're with? Do you trust the people that you're looking? Is, is, listen, I'm, 
find someone that's cute, find, write your checklist, you know, make your profile, do whatever. But is at the top of the list, do I trust them? Do I trust them? And do I know without a shadow of a doubt that if, that Jesus Christ is all they need and they don't need me, they don't depend on me, Jesus Christ is their identity. Do you know that? And if you don't, you need to move away. Here's a second question. Are you someone you can trust? Are you someone that they can trust? Even if you haven't met the person, are you the kind of person that you're looking for? Do you dip when things get hard? Do you dog on your exes and make a ton of jokes about them because they're so stupid and they don't understand, blah, 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 blah. Do you love Jesus Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Or here's a question, are you empty and you're just looking for someone to fill you up? You say you like the flower, you say you appreciate them, but you want their affirmation, you want their time, you want their energy. You're so empty that when they can't give it to you, you're gonna leave. If that's the case, you need to run to Jesus Christ. Everyone does all the time. But before in your relationship, you need to learn what unconditional love means before you could possibly dish it. You need to receive Jesus bending down on one knee to wash your feet before you could possibly do that for another person. Are you the kind of person that you can trust? Jesus says, listen, I am living water. I am the source of life. Come to me, everyone who's tired. Come to me, everyone who's burdened. Come to me, every person who's broken. I will give you rest. And you know the metaphor God uses over and over and over and over and over and over again about himself? He says, I am the spouse that you have always been looking for. No one will love you like I do. Will you come to Jesus Christ and find life for right here, right now, and for your soul for the rest of eternity? That's the invitation that Jesus gives. Once again, seriously, thanks for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you have any questions about anything that we talked about, please don't hesitate at all to reach out. Uh, You can shoot a direct message to our Instagram, but I'd also love to give you my personal email. It's J-O-B-O-G-U-E at graceohio.org. And if you shoot an email to that, I'd love to talk with you about anything going on at, at all. Once again, we'd love to see you in person at Collective. We meet at 754 Gent Road, Fairlawn, Ohio at seven o'clock every Thursday night. And we'd hope to see you there.